Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I am Jonathan Pritchett and along with me is... Braxton Hunter. And today we are going to answer some questions that we were asked on Facebook. Stick around. So it's not heresy. It's... Come on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is... I... I I was... not impressed. (laughs) I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers, that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. During the walk that Jesus was on in the New Testament, it said that Jesus talks with God the Father and and many times was also witnessed by the disciples and John the Baptist. Please explain so we can understand more clearly how this communication took place, a voice from human earthliness being and the divine, and whether in the case of Jesus' baptism it was the Holy Spirit, also God is one of the Trinity, or since his hypostatic union was a miracle from God, also had the capability of communicating between the two. I can, are you guys having trouble? I can answer. I want to have the talk. Okay, go ahead. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, look, look, folks. Well, I could have said that. I mean, honestly. <laughs> okay, as you can see, fresh back. From, I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, fresh back from Florida, yeah. uh, where we wrestled alligators and church people. Yeah. But it was fantastic, and what what it got us thinking was. We need to do Q&A stuff. Now, I can't say this is the first ever Q&A episode of Trinity Radio because, I don't know, six, seven years ago, something like that, uh, It's I think they're the first two in the iTunes or like in the podcast feed. Oh, okay. If you go all the way back, there was two episodes. I don't even know if I agree with what I said back then. Probably so. Um, but... I haven't listened to it in a while, but uh, but we're going to do this. And, and actually, we're doing this for a good reason. We're setting up. Dr. Pritchett, for a new either segment or mini-episode type thing yeah. that is going to be with a different set behind us, and we're going to be answering questions in shorter videos. Yeah. So if you're watching this and you thought, well, I don't want to submit, but I, I wish I had more time, submit whenever you want. Just submit it on the Facebook or private message me on Facebook or something, and we will put your question in the till so that you can get your questions answered. And I haven't even told you this, Dr. Pritchett, but for a lot of people out there, whenever I talk at conferences about apologetics, I always tell people, you can be an evangelistic apologist today, even if you've never heard of apologetics before. And the way you can do that is you may not be able to be an answer giver yet, but you can be an answer finder 
for people uh, because you can say to them, hey, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm going to go find out for you. And so what I think we ought to call this new segment is something like answer finders. Or I don't know. Or I don't know. The I don't know. Of course, that we, we do know most of the time, but, but uh, we hope. Um, depends yeah. on your questions. But uh, all right, so uh, talk some more. Yeah. Well, I, I did like um, some of the questions that we got on Facebook. We asked around. Uh, we were hoping that we would get less uh, theology geek questions and more layperson questions, but it seems like lay people don't have as many questions as theology geeks have. So that was a little bit... Eh. So if you're, if you're not a theology nerd, like um, Anthony Giles is a theology nerd. I love Anthony Giles. He's awesome. Um, ask us a question. That was one of the things I really enjoyed about Florida was listening to you guys give answers to just random questions. And then I would just kind of chime in, you know, and then I, y'all would make me answer certain questions. And that was nice too. Okay. I, now I don't have necessarily, but you know what? I, I want to say one more thing. Okay. Props to Steve Gregg who does that every day. Cause it's not always, you know, yes. Just taking whatever comes across the thing. And I will tell you, because I've done a lot of these where I'm the only one. Yeah. And you would do as good or better at this than me. But when you're the only one, where you get a weird question, you're like, man, I really wish somebody else was here to answer that question. Since you know that's not going to happen, right. you just get into it. And sometimes you surprise yourself. You're like... <laughs> That's pretty good, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, we want to say right at the beginning, we thank our patrons. Absolutely. We, we have some new ones. New patrons. Yes, uh, love our patrons. Let's give all our patrons. We have Robert Gillier, William Schroeder, Armin Jacob Paulson, Johnny Miller Jr., Kurt Jaros. Stop. Go to Veracity Hill and watch his interview. It's his 100th episode with N.T. Wright. It is phenomenal. Ernest George Strauss III, Austin Eakin, Paul Wayne Sims, Jonah Krylo, Austin Long, Billy Wendelin, Eleanor Meadows, Second Yang, Brian Roden, Scott McCauley, um, Anonymous, and then recently we have Brian Roden. Did I say that? Yeah, yeah I already did. Scott McCauley, did I say that? Yeah, I did. Okay, Benjamin Fogler, I think is a new one. Yeah. Um, Austin, we got Austin. Uh, Boydra Gonzalez, Boydria Gonzalez. Sorry if I got that wrong, Boydria. Uh, Brian McNulty and Annette Tyler Burns. Yeah. All right. Cool. Just a cool name. Okay. Yeah, cool lady. Uh, so we'll put those up on the screen. And if I missed you, please forgive me. Please let me know. I'll fix it. We, we're, <laughs> we're actually getting enough patrons now, that I, but we're still not to our goal. Right. And not by a long shot. So We promise to be better and more polished when we get to our goal. We promise that? to be more better the more you... Right. Better us by patroning, right. patronizing us. <laughs> okay, um, okay. So let's get right into this, Doctor Pritchett. Okay. Uh, so here's some interesting questions. That's my computer. Don't freak out. I always do that. That should be just my tagline. That's my computer. Don't freak out. Okay. Um, by the way, if you'd like to give to our Patreon thing, uh, you can click somewhere up here, um, or you can, uh, if you're listening and not watching, you can go to uh, Patreon.com/slash Trinity Radio. Also. Come on, guys. We are at over 600 now YouTube subscribers. That is really important to us. You may not know why, but that's it doesn't matter. You don't have to know why. Just know that if you appreciate this show and you don't feel compelled to give us money, that is perfectly fine. But what you can do that doesn't cost you anything, even if you don't watch the YouTube channel, is just go subscribe to it, man. Yeah. Like, share, Because they unlock more capabilities 
on the Trinity Radio Death Star, the closer we get to a to a thousand and then beyond. So just come on. Yeah. We really do appreciate every single one. Yeah. Like our videos, share our videos, subscribe to our channel, all that good stuff. Sign up for courses at Trinity College the Bible and Theological Seminary. Trinity S E M dot E D U. That's really why we do this mm -hmm. is to inform you and to let you know about the greatest Bible college and seminary on the face of absolutely. the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, Anthony says when someone is seeking to understand Christianity and are, for lack of better words, deciding between Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and our faith, how do you guide them through that, especially if you don't get an exhausted or an extended period of time with them? First of all, direct them to Trinity Radio. That is something you can do mm -hmm. in a moment. That's right. Say youtube.com slash Braxton. We have talked about Mormons. We haven't talked about the Jehovah's Witnesses. We will, yet. though. We yeah. will talk about it. And yeah. I had a quick... Someone after the Q&A in Florida asked, said, I'm a converted Jehovah's... I'm, you know, I'm a Christian. I was yeah. a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, what do you think about this and that and the other thing? I said, well, I've got a course on it, but we need to do an episode on it. And we will. Um, I mean, they had prints. Yeah, they had prints. Yeah. They also had one of the ladies on The View... Oh, okay. Um, we know that they're top shelf thinkers. Um, so, <laughs> so, I like Prince's music, though. Well, sure, if he, he doesn't. Yeah. Um, but, okay. I, first of all, I think that if you don't, here's a simple apologetic strategy that I always think our listeners should use. Not that you have to take my opinion, but if you turn up here, it means that you care a little bit what we have to say. And I bet you Dr. Pritchett would agree with me that if you don't have much time, and you have to choose wisely with the time you have. Give them the gospel. Mm -hmm. Give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, it is the power of God unto salvation. Yeah. And you you may not be able to get to the intellectual side of things, but I, I'm an, I'm presuppositionalist enough, Doctor Pritchett, that I can say just presume that the gospel is true and give it to them. Yeah. And and then if if um. They're curious about why your brand of Christianity and not Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, if you give them the gospel, it's easier from there to explain why Mormonism, for example, is different because it's works-based. Or Jehovah's Witness is different because, I mean, well, where do you begin? Failed prophecies, weird beliefs, uh, wrong Jesus because they don't believe that he's the second person of the Trinity. I mean, just all kinds of all kinds of things that yeah. easily easily jump off from from just the gospel to differentiate why historic Orthodox Christianity um, is true and why these sorry guys, but Mormonism's weird and dumb. Yeah. And so is uh, Jehovah's Witness. I'm sorry. I, I know it sounds there's there's a difference between weird and true and weird and dumb. Because right. you just said the other day in Florida, yeah. Christianity is sometimes weird and that's fine. Yeah. But I said weird and dumb. Right. There's, Here's that's why what I'm dumb. saying. Yeah, you're uh, collab. That's uh, okay. We're back to that. I mean, no, just can be your own father of your own planet. Right. Infinite regress of gods, and you can be yeah. a little god one day. And yeah. you know, there's more gods than any other religion in existence because of the infinite regress of them. Yeah, I, you know the, the the thing that you've asked here, Anthony, that makes it a little difficult to answer is well, if you don't have an extended period of time. So my answer there is give them the gospel. Yeah. If they stick around and ask you further questions, answer those questions as long as they're willing to listen. And if you have other things going on that you don't have enough time to spend with them, uh, 
that sometimes is true. Your wife may be having a baby or uh, something like that, or uh, you might be about to experience a hurricane and can't continue the conversation. But I think people's souls are very important. So if they don't want to stick around, that's one thing. But I think we should make every effort to stick around and answer their questions as long as we can, because we do think that souls are in jeopardy. Yes, we do. And, and it's important to... There was a debate here recently, you know, okay, I'm here I am calling Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses dumb. I'm not calling the people dumb, I'm calling the religion dumb, right? Yeah. Um, and there was a big debate, is that kind of thing okay? So David Wood's doing this Islamicized Oh, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah. And, and Did you listen to their response? Yeah, I thought it was phenomenal. Of okay, go ahead and explain what it is. So. Okay, Islamicize Me is kind of like that Super Size Me documentary with the guy at McDonald's every day for 30 days. They're trying to live according to the Hadith. Uh, for 30 days, David Wood and and uh, some compatriots of his. Vocab Malone and I don't know the other John, guy's name. Uh, I can't think of his last name. Mick something. John Mellencamp. Go ahead. No. <laughs> uh, but it's it's a hilarious spoof mockumentary. Yeah. And some people, uh, I think it was James White, threw a big fit about it. Uh, Who? James White. I don't know. Yeah, from the dividing line, which which was great because I saw the resp- anyway. It's it's making fun and showing you what it would be, and some people had certain objections to that. I don't agree with any of the objections, um, which is why you hear me obviously call things. Like- oh, I thought they nailed it. Yeah, one of the things that did you did you say you did listen to their response? Mm-hmm. One of the things I thought was great was. And I didn't hear what James White said, but they said that what James White and they were being really cautious to try and get it right. Yeah. If he didn't say it's fine, but what they said James White said was. Um, don't talk about all the evils within Islam, within the Quran and stuff, because they do that same thing to the Old Testament. And they're like, wait a minute, whoa, you don't think there are good answers to the Old Testament criticisms? Uh, Of course you can knock this down. But I think what you're getting at is the important thing about what they did was they were saying, no, no, look, this is an extremely dangerous uh, not only religious, but also yeah. political, which the same is true with Mormonism, that it's political. I don't know that it's dangerous in the sense that Islam is dangerous, but um, but it's dangerous and it's okay to shoot it down and not every single time do you get the chance to give the gospel. It's okay to shoot it down and be forceful and, yeah. and even be satirical because yeah. it is dangerous. You call it for what it is. That's why I call yeah. Mormonism for what it is. Uh, yeah, and it's outpaced. It's going to dis- outpace. The only Christine. thing I disagreed with their response was he said nice things about James White knowing more about the Bible, and but he said that James White was not very good on Islam. I disagree with them about not giving the gospel. How hard is it? I mean, I don't think that what they did was wrong. The things that he was criticizing, but yeah. I do think you can always give the gospel. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Then it becomes like this tacked-on thing at the end, like Joel Osteen okay. at the end of his message. Well, I'm, I'm glad Joel Osteen does that. Yeah, okay, but I I, I see what there the, the, there's plenty of other things where he talks about the gospel on that YouTube channel. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it 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 sounds pious, but do you have to just every video that you we make? don't, but you know what we should. Yeah. Jesus died and rose again for the sin of the world so that you can die and rise. We do. It's in the intro. <laughs> it's in the intro. We give the gospel and everything yeah. tacked on just at the beginning instead right. of the end. Yeah, but I do want to say that for the most part, I, I agreed except for the fact that he said that. James White knows a lot about the Bible, and I don't think he really actually understands much about the Bible. And since David Wood gave me permission uh, to not listen to James White on Islam, because he says James White's not good on Islam, and if you take away... Oh, is that what he says? Yeah. If he says he's not a reliable guy on Islam issues, and and then I already don't think he's reliable on theology. We have no reason to pay attention to James trust, White. I trust. So, I think... That's da- good news. I, Thanks, David. I don't have to listen to James I think James White, James White is probably really good on Islam. But I think David Wood's probably better. 
David Wood is awesome. Yeah, but David Wood's qualified to determine whether or not. Well, but it's like you saying that saying that uh, some particular theologian is not good. Yeah, I don't. Well, he's probably he's probably good. James White. He's just not not up to the standard that you have assigned. I I I don't think that he's really that good of a theologian, and I don't think that if 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 an expert on Islam says this guy you shouldn't really listen to him much, says don't listen to him much, not really good. Plus, he loses debates against Muslims. Does he? I think James White loses those debates. It just rhetorically, sure. Yeah. Okay, so that's what we think about Islam. Back to yeah. Mormonism. <laughs> what was your point? Uh, I like that David Wood uh, does that kind of. Oh, thing you're saying Islamist, making fun of it a little bit is yeah. not the end of the world no, because the Bible not. uses satire. Yeah. The Bible is very. And no, like you don't have to be Jesus or the apostles to follow, you know to imitate me like I imitate Christ. Well, that's going to include some of those. Well, here's too. the thing: so I, I, I think, don't, I don't get the the objection that well, you're not a prophet, so you can't talk like that, or you're not an apostle, so you can't talk. like Yeah, but that. there are example right for how to preach the yeah, Bible so. and preach the gospel. Here's the thing that I, I just I do think yeah. that, and this is going to sound Pritchett like, but and Pritchett never even said this, but I think that. Some things that we apologize for as Christians, like where we apologize for all of Christianity, which is good because whatever I've done wrong, some preacher out there has apologized for me too, so it's fine. Right. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, we do a little, that's good to do. And there are certain issues I think we should, like the homosexuality thing. Yeah. We should apologize for how Christianity has at times done certain Christians to that. But here's the thing there's something to say about triumphalism. You always say that. There's something to say about not always coming off as, geez, we're awful people, and we've always been awful to you, and you're not awful. And even though what you're doing is is going to lead you to hell, you're fine, but we've been awful. And so yeah. please listen to our gospel that we awful people have been trying to give you. No, it's okay to say we're all sinners. You're a sinner. We're sinners. The difference is we're saved. We want you to be saved. Right. And it's like one of the questions that we got on the night of the Q&A was, one of the first questions came to me was, you guys are arrogant because you think that Jesus is the only way. And, and I think this is the right answer. I mean, I know you said this, and this is what every apologist says, and I think it's right, that it's not arrogant to say 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? right? At the same time, the most humble thing you can say is to say, I don't have your answers. You don't have the answers. I can't help you. I don't have the But you know what? He does. Jesus has the answers. Yeah. It's the most humble thing to say, I'm broken. I can't help you at all, but he can. Um, and, when yeah. it, and when it comes to, from what I took from Anthony's question, if you're talking to somebody who's either considering or you're just witnessing to them, if it's between Orthodox Christianity and Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism and you don't have a lot of time, like going back to what we said with the gospel, but there's so much that, um, and I, I know our presuppositional friends are going to get angry about this, but there's so much that you can probably find... Uh, objectively in common with with the average person do you believe that the universe has an infinite past or do you believe in the big bang yeah but see and, right there you know i think you're right and of course we talked about christianity that. affirms creation next to Hilo. you already kind of think that's true you know um, but he said if you don't have a lot of time yeah i would i would point out the, here's my thing i would if point you, out the confirmations of orthodoxy and reality versus yeah. uh, mormonism and their and jehovah's witnesses and their struggle to align with reality. I think you're right. Those things as far as Mormonism goes, yeah. we have an episode on that. We'll have one on Jehovah's Witnesses too, but he hit some of the main issues there yeah. with Jehovah's Witness theology. But here's the bottom line. If you don't have a lot of time, give them the gospel and maybe your phone number or email uh, or a resource like this. But if you can, make time for it because it's that important. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Next question. Uh, we got that pretty quick. What is the most important theological debate to reconcile for Christians and why? And he gives some examples. Soteriology, gifts for today, baptism, Eucharist. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, soteriology is, is like issues of salvation, mm -hmm. views on how salvation works. So Calvinism versus Arminianism versus whatever. Gifts for today, that's charismatic like questions. You know, the how do we understand the gifts? Are the gifts for today? Um, uh, baptism, Eucharist. So, I, take I mean, I think take. they're all important. Yeah, they're all important. But the, uh, what's the most important? Is soteriology more important than the gifts for the today? No. I, I, I think so. Frankly, I think not the understanding of how salvation works. Yeah, this Calvinism. I mean, no, because he may be thinking of that. But soteriology is bigger than the oblique, you know, or the little Calvinism. Yeah, but you issue. could just say the gospel. If you get salvation, I think you have to wrong, make a distinction between the gospel message that saves and how the mechanics of it and i think soteriology is more of a theology of the mechanics of salvation well if that's what he means it yeah. doesn't have to mean that if he's that's using what the word means, if he's using the word that's what he means <laughs> you think he's talking about the calvinism debate well or or, or the <laughs> theology of how salvation is enacted in the, the life. okay if he's using the word soteriology then obviously he's, um, he's making that claim um i don't think that's as important as the gifts of the spirit no I think you don't think it's as important? So you think the gifts today, of the Spirit question is today, more important? Yes, because it impacts most people. In the everyone has the Holy Spirit, and what you where where you how much in the life of the Spirit you have affects every believer, whether they're interested in the Calvinism or Arminianism or traditionalism or Molinism, whether they're interested in those stuff or not, they all have the Holy Spirit. That affects all of them. And getting that right, I think, would be important. Yeah, well, um, I think if you're trying to if you're if you're trying to say, and I can hear everybody agreeing with you because it's all that's that's the flavor of the group. But if if you not not agreeing with you, but, I don't think but everybody wants to do nothing but talk about soteriology and then everyone wants to act like it's not important. Oh, come off it. No, if it's not I, important, then don't... If it's I've not as important... that issue. I've not debated... I'm saying... Yeah, but you don't talk about the spiritual gifts nearly as much as you talk no, about No, but I do think it's probably more important of a thing to get right. Because let's say, let's say cessationism is true. Then quit faking gifts that don't exist anymore. Okay? If, if continuationism is true, which is I believe it... Quit closing yourself off to the things of the Spirit that the Spirit has for you. Yeah, I agree. You know, because that, that affects everybody. Yeah, okay, but here's the thing. If you really believe that, then I expect to find you now talking about the gifts of the Spirit at least more than soteriology. But the gifts of the Spirit, that's thats not my you know, wheelhouse. I don't mind talking about it. If you want to talk, let's do a whole show on it. Why I'm a charismatic. Well, I am too by your definition of charismatic, which or means not a cessation. Yeah, yeah, I'm a continuation. I don't have any. I, this is what I, have you ever healed anybody? No, this was You ever was, spoken in tongues? No. If I ever you ever prophesied? Well, I've made predictions. <laughs> That's not a prophecy. Let's hope, because right, right. we'll have to kill you right. soon. Right. That's what I said okay, in the, the Q&A in Florida but, when I was asked this. But, but here's the thing. But I have you had, still had a fulfilling Christian life? Uh, yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is, if we're going to say that the how salvation works versus whether or not these gifts are whatever, and, and but... Just the theological thing. I don't see saying that one's more important than the other. And if it is, I get what you're saying. One has more practical implications. But I don't know that I agree with that. I think the soteriology yeah, has... Yeah, because it affects our evangelism and all that. Yeah. But if I said, what is more important getting right, I would 
I think we 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 academic types focus too much on the abstract and not enough on the nuts and bolts. And that the fact that I talk about Calvinism more than charismatic gifts probably demonstrates a problem with me because the the gifts of the spirit touches. Let me quote Layton Flowers. Your soteriology drives your evangelism, evangelism and apologetics. Yeah, we agree. And with I that. agree. Yeah. And since I think evangelism itself, in general, is extremely important. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I don't know why I'm why I'm pushing you around with this. I just I just felt like you took a position that I, I don't know. I thought it needed some balance. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, like I said, mine is more. I have to constantly remind myself um, that people actually read pastoral ministry books that mm-hmm. don't have footnotes. Okay, mm-hmm. and that is probably a good idea that I might read one. I have to remind myself. Well, no, the good ones still have footnotes. Don't don't do that. <laughs> I have to remind myself that people are actually interested in that kind of thing. People still uh, there, there's there's a daily Christian walk. For others, that for most people, that's different than for people like you and I. Yeah, and we can get distracted absolutely from, from what their life is like. And I think they are all—they all have the Holy Spirit, and they all have a gift of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives gifts one or more to everybody. Yeah, let's back uh, up and so, say the simple solution is all these things are important. Yeah. Um, but if you're asking us to rank them. We disagree about that. Now, baptism, you put baptism here. Let me tell you something. And this is true of the Eucharist, too. If baptism is necessary for salvation, which I personally don't hold, yeah. uh, I hold that you will follow in baptism. And I, I assume you agree with me on this. Yeah. You'll follow in baptism is the first thing Jesus asks you to do after yeah. you become a Christian as a symbol. And and symbols and ceremony, I'm sorry, people that want to ditch stuff <laughs> that that is that seems a little too institutionalized or a little too religious or whatever. But symbols seem to matter to God. But if baptism is necessary for salvation, which I don't think it is, and you don't think it is, then that instantly becomes the most important issue on this list. Well, okay. Except for maybe the Eucharist, about which you could say the same thing. No. uh, Well, okay, it's like this. With baptism, most people that are believers don't refuse it. So let's say baptism is necessary for salvation, all things being equal. Mm -hmm. Okay, most people are fine then. Because most people probably got baptized. Um, well, it depends. Because for some of these people, your understanding and attitude about the baptism impacts whether it happened or not. Just like with some traditionalists, your understanding about the sinner's prayer impacts whether it was real or not when you began your journey. Yeah. I, I think baptism would have been more important when people were being drowned for holding to Christ's oh, baptism. Well, yeah, I mean, See, so that's what I'm saying. Some of these issues rise more to 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 what's more relevant or immediate now for the church than others. Um, I would say baptism after the post Reformation era, where they were drowning people for being credo Baptist, that was an important issue to work out. Um, well, if it well, life and death, but yeah. in terms of eternity, it still is relevant today as it was then. If baptism is necessary for salvation, right which I don't think it is. I don't either. And since I don't think it is, I put it, I mean, it's like the rest of these things. I think they're all important, but not... But do you see my point, though, that most people get baptized after they're saved? So let's say you and I are wrong, they're still fine because they got baptized. If having done that, 
and some semblance of sincerity about wanting to do what God wants you to do mm-hmm. is is what matters there, then yeah, I, yeah, a baptismal regeneration advocate would be fine, I guess, with this. But I'm just saying, it become to my now, mind... The, the Eucharist is different. I don't know that that's like something that's... There's, there's always something, to use my word, weird and mysterious about that anyway, no matter what position you yeah, take. You and symbolism again. Right. Um, <laughs> maybe, or maybe not. <laughs> do we need to have that? Is that the, maybe it's not is just that the issue we need to... Is that the most pressing issue for our cultural context and our evangelical cultural context to work out right now? Probably not. I would say the gifts or soteriology would be the, the two pressing ones because... Uh, the one of the gifts among evangelicals, yeah. The one with, with the gifts, it impacts every single person on the planet, uh, or in the church. Um, mm-hmm. with soteriology, like you said, it impacts your evangelism. I think, I think that's correct. And, um, the fact that people are always talking about it, um, and using that as the doctrine by which they align on a whole bunch of... Look at the SBC right now. Um, there's a whole host of people fighting about a whole host of things. But you know what? You can generally tell what side they're on. If they're a Calvinist, they, they affirm Calvinism, and then a whole bunch of other stuff and that, that they're fighting about. And generally speaking, if you're uh, a traditionalist or uh, a closet Arminian somewhere hiding... In the SBC, yeah. Generally, I, I'm not speaking everybody, but generally speaking, you also affirm a whole host of other beefs that you have in the Southern Baptist sure. Convention. And so, all of these other beefs that they have are divided. Mm-hmm. And I take Adrian Rogers, the great, the late great Adrian Rogers, is right that the SBC is a bellwether for evangelicalism in America in general. Right. And so, typically, all of the the conflicts you have mm-hmm. are. Can you can put them on one side of that yeah, side or the other? So that might that might have a. I don't know that that's right. That all this stuff should get tied to a soteriology. You know, I think of all the members of the Trinity yeah. Commission, you talk about the Southern Baptist world more than any of us. Yeah, because I agree with Adrian <laughs> Rogers, and if you're a Southern Baptist, you should agree with Adrian Rogers. The General Baptists are nowhere near as big as the SBC. No, I'm just saying because you tend to you you always say. About me and flowers and everybody, yeah. or especially me and flowers. I guess only me and flowers. You're like, yeah, you you guys just think in terms of the SBC and blah blah. blah. I'm like, who talks about this more than anybody else? <laughs> I, I I didn't say y'all only think in terms of the SBC. I think I said that y'all think of theology in that way, but not all of you. I'm the one who sees a lot of evangelicalism represented in the SBC because uh-huh. it's such a big tent. Yeah. Um. Now not all of it. Um. Because naturally, most of them are cessationists as opposed to continuationists. Though that's changing, they're all complementarians. They're all, except for Wade Burleson uh, and a few handful of others, but they're mostly all, all a complementarian denomination, a credo Baptist denomination. But that's about the only and a once saved, always saved denomination. But that's the only. I mean, but other than that, every other. I'm gonna have to cut a lot of this out because we're not. We're a way off from yeah. this topic. But we're trying to figure out what is the most important thing, and yeah, that's it's, not a simple question. I, I honestly think these are all. The four that you've mentioned here are important. Um, okay, why is the Lord's it, Supper important to you on the same levels? No, the I say the same thing about baptism, yeah. and I'll say it about this. If that is a means of grace to maintain my salvation or something, okay, well, then that's pretty darn important that I understand that. 
Since I don't think so, it's a matter of obedience, like baptism. Yeah, well, it depends on what you mean. I, I believe it's a means of grace, but of course I always have to... What we're talking about is if it keeps you saved. Yeah, if it's one of the things necessary to keep you saved, I don't then think that's it's the, very important. I don't think that's the only issue that people think about when they think about the Lord's Supper, though. It's, well, yeah. And that's not the only way people that's think about the means of grace. I'm saying that's what makes it as in, yeah. like the mo- one of, up with baptism as the most important thing if that is what we're saying. But since neither of us here are saying that, right. it's important. It is important. It's not, it's, it's, it's not more important. Are you, do you think that uh, once a quarter is good to take it? Um, and then Easter, Christmas, or weekly, or once a m- month? I Honestly, I couldn't. You've been a pastor. What did you do? Yeah, well, I did the Southern Baptist thing, which is whenever you feel like it. Whenever everybody gets together for a deacon's meeting where you pay the pulpit tax and you're like with a deacon's meeting, and then you're like, um, you're like, hey, we probably should do the Lord's Supper, right? But uh, if I did it again, I think I'd do it more frequently. Uh, the Baptist position, of course, is always often is well, you don't want to do it so often that it loses its meaning and just becomes a pointless ritual. Um, on the other hand, we had some people that were Church of Christ get saved, and, mm-hmm. and, and not that Church of Christ people are not necessarily saved, but we did have some that got saved, came to our church, and they didn't like that it was not often, and it really bothered them. And, it, you know, as often as you come together, you know, do this, mm-hmm. remember to me. Okay, I, I get that. That's that. If, so if somebody does that, I understand they're trying to be faithful to the Bible. I also don't think the Bible's legalistic on things like this. So I think, well, you gave me a look. Well, I was just thinking in Corinth they were getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, so, and they were doing it as often as they could, right? Because <laughs> someone and was bringing the good stuff. Their faces yeah. and not sharing with others, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah, I, there's a lot of different ways. I think of it as a means of grace, just not in the same way that a Catholic would. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That's I, what I'm, I'm saying. The, where I slide more with the reform. Yeah. Camp. But is it more important than no soteriology or right gifts now, of the no. today? No. I think those two, the ones we picked, are probably need to go head to head. But all right, let's go to the next. Sorry, we couldn't answer more definitively. <laughs> Sorry, we are taking so long with all our answers, but it is what it is. It's what we do. And I'm feeling a little feisty today. Does it feel that way? Well, you just—if I say something, you're going to take the opposite. <laughs> that is usually the reverse. <laughs> that is not how it typically is. No, people have been talking about Braxton Prime lately. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, well, don't do that. People miss give me the, my own thing. People miss the old. Can night. somebody give me my own thing? Yeah, you have uh, several things. Pseudo Braxtonius and all of that, but it's just. But people are saying, but but what they're saying is, my Braxton has gotten (laughs) angry. Yeah, but I repent of it every time. That's the difference. (laughs) You're like the sinner that just goes on in sin and never repents. Why is it a sin? Wait a minute. (laughs) I know. I said you're like it's a simile. You're like the sinner that just goes on and on in sin without ever repenting. And I'm at least the guy who feels bad and repents every night. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And you're over here. Thank God, Lord, you didn't make me like those other people. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, man. Could this maybe be turned into the best episode ever? All right. Um, Michael says, how did the serpent talk to Eve? This is a, what, how, do, how, does, how does the intercommunication dialogue between the Trinity work? It's kind of, I don't know. Um I like the, there was a serpent there, and then there was a voice that could be heard, but not necessarily a... Well, yeah, Hank Hanegraaff, you know Hank Hanegraaff, yeah. he says that this is a clearly a, just a symbolic story, and I'm not, I'm not going to like, you know, g- get all uppity about that right now, but 
I think this is a real story that really mm-hmm. happened. Where do you land on that? Yeah. Or are you afraid I mean, uh, yeah, ish. Okay. I think <laughs> it's a real story. If you're re- and the reason he says it has to be symbolic is because snakes, serpents, do not have the vocal requirements for speech. Yeah, neither do donkeys. But yeah, exactly. Why, you know, why could not Satan this have is made scienti- this, this serpent speak? This is a problem speak? with scientific concordism yeah. again. Get rid of it. We, quit trying to say because there is no scientific You go over to like Answers in Genesis yeah. and they're all like, well, for all we know, all the animals spoke. It's like a Disney cartoon, you know. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe, but I don't have any reason to believe that their vocal. Please tell me that's compa- not there. Well, not like a Disney cartoon, but that's what it sounds like. They're like, for all we know, lots of the animals spoke. That's that's really their answer. But th- well, it's part of their answer. But here's the thing: I think when the fall okay. did not make it such that I used to have three arms and now I've only got two arms because of the fall. No, I think people already had always had two arms. Adam's arms were probably better arms than my arms. Of course, my daughter's arms are probably better arms than my arms. But the thing about it, uh, the the thing about it is. I think that the vocal, whatever's in a snake's throat mm-hmm. section, <laughs> do snakes have throats? They have a throat quadrant or something. Yeah. But whatever that is, I think what's there is what was there probably. Yeah. Right? I don't think that they, that they part of it. But, but here's what I am telling you. I don't think they used to have a vocal uh, organ that then fell off. I just think that Satan possessed this animal and communicated through the snake. And communicate, and Revelation does seem to give strong implication that the serpent was Satan. He's this the, that old serpent called yeah. the devil, you know, deceived the whole world. Well, From he's the beginning, Satan. right? Yeah. So I, uh, Paul doesn't quite say it in Second Corinthians eleven, but he comes pretty darn close. He equates yeah. it. So, but I think now, do we have examples of of uh, demons inhabiting animals? Sure, we do. What about uh, the pigs when Jesus yeah. cast the the demons? They didn't speak. But then, of course, we do have animals speaking without the vocal requirements necessary in uh, Balaam's donkey. Right. Like you, it's a miracle, said. and it's weird, and it's supernatural and creepy. Yeah. So yeah. let it be that. You know, yeah. uh, when I envision it, I envision there being a serpent present, and I envision an audible voice. I don't necessarily, you know, the mouth. It's worth present. mentioning, and I think our crowd can handle this. Yeah. There are some cases of demon possession that we know about mm-hmm. where there are multiple voices coming out of one person. Right. And some of them are not human voices. Is that real? I don't know for sure, but I don't really have any good reason to doubt it. Yeah. I, I, there's pretty good evidence for that sort of thing. So it's I, completely possible that something like that yeah, occurs in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all we're saying. So, but now here's another question people want to know. Why didn't it shock her? It seems not to have shocked her when the serpent spoke. Well, first of all, one of my favorite things in the world is Balaam's donkey, where he's beat the donkey now twice. And he goes to beat the donkey the third time for running him into a wall because the donkey sees an angel. He doesn't see the angel. And then the donkey, when he's about to beat him, turns around, and this is the Braxton International version. It's paraphrased. But um, but the donkey turns around and says, have I not always just been a good donkey? Why are you doing this? <laughs> and, he, and he says, you know, you have always been a good donkey. <laughs> so it's like he doesn't miss a beat. Right. And that was at a time when everyone knew that animals didn't talk like that. Yeah. Um, so, but God did that. Weird through things happen. Balaam. Yeah. Weird now, things first of all, let me tell you, in the story of Balaam and the donkey, and in the story of Eve and the serpent, it, it's not recorded that she didn't, like, freak out or act, be surprised about it. But who's to say that doesn't mean that she wasn't? I mean, she could have well been 
Wait, 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 whoa, what's going on here? What or not, world? she may not yeah. have existed for very long when that happened. We don't. That's know. true, too. I mean, we don't know. She, she doesn't have enough experience to know whether or not that's weird. We don't know. And, you know. Like and consider this. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Adam and Eve must have been born or created yeah. with some prerequisite knowledge because immediately they're speaking to God. Mm -hmm. So God must have uploaded <laughs> certain information about the world yeah. into them from the jump. So maybe that maybe one of the things was you might have an animal speak to you one day trying to deceive you. <laughs> I don't know, you know, which would make the fall even worse than she would have known, but yeah. she did know. But you know what I mean? You tracking with me? I'm tracking. Do with I need you. to slow down? No, I'm, I'm just, just saying, kidding. I'm saying, well, <laughs> Uh, this is one of those things that there's no right answer because it's impossible to know. Yeah, but, but it's, it's fine. You know, but I'm not the I'm not going to be the liberal guy who says, well, nothing like this happened. And like I said, do I believe it's ish? But I'm not the. There's nothing that happened in the garden, and I'm not the guy that says, well, it doesn't matter if a serpent talked. It only matters what the serpent said. Uh, no, it matters to some people. That's why we get questions like this. Yeah, it's but hard the, for some. I don't think this person is having a faith crisis, but no. there are people who have a faith crisis over stuff like this. Yeah. But here's the bottom line. The Bible has a lot of supernatural stuff in it right. because it's a part of the yeah, world. Yeah, way after view. Genesis. Yeah, and if you don't believe in the supernatural, things like the creation of universes and the resurrection right. from the dead and the healing of the blind, if you don't believe in supernatural stuff, well, then none of this stuff's going to fly. Right. But if you are open to the creation of the universe by God, as many scientists who are not Christians are open to, then why is a snake talking? The more difficult <laughs> question is, yeah, yeah, the more difficult question is why haven't animals spoken since? Well, there are animals that speak, but they're more mimicking sounds that they hear from a human. Oh, I mean, you're talking you know. about parrots. And you're yeah, talking yeah. About monkeys being able to sign or watch the, you know. that old uh, uh, America's Funniest videos where the dog is sounds like. But saying, no, I'm I just love talking you. about having a conversation with a donkey like Balaam, or having a conversation like Eve. Why doesn't that happen? Yeah. Well, because they're not as smart as we are. <laughs> and they don't have, there's a gene that they need to I mean, have why doesn't God for speech. Why doesn't God, no, why doesn't God communicate oh. that way? That's the, now. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what, what, you have cool. is, what you have is Balaam's donkey. You have some demons and pigs who spoke before they actually went to the pigs and ran off the cliff. Divine hiddenness. Yeah. Uh, and you have, I mean, how many, you know, we're talking about a handful, two occasions. I mean, it could happen, but usually the people that tell me it has happened, and I have had tell me people tell me it has yeah. happened, are people that I find their testimony questionable about right. this sort of thing. So I'm saying the biblical precedent is two, maybe they're the ones in several hundred years of time span yeah, between those two. Not occasions. God's favorite way it's, to communicate. Yeah, it's not. It's not uh, he did it once, right? It's like the you know there wasn't a lot of Jesus healing amputees, but he did heal an amputee yeah. in the in the Garden of Gethsemane when yeah. he reattached the ear. So. I mean, yeah, some things just don't have a whole lot of occurrences, and so we shouldn't expect them to have a lot of occurrences. But I love talking about this stuff, so keep yeah. asking questions like this. But here's the thing. It's like we said down in Florida. The Bible doesn't give us all the information we'd like to have. Yeah. It doesn't give, satisfy all our interests. I'd like to know more about angels than I'm able to know 
but the Bible never sits out to teach me about angels. What I learn about angels, I learn incidentally in stories and things like that. But it turns out a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about angels. I mean, the literature yeah. on this, I mean, if you just sure. go through the great books. Well, because that is... Great books fans, just look up angel in this and topic and go through the whole thing. Well, yeah, like in, um, in um, John Milton's Paradise Lost, yeah. you want to know what he says about this sort of thing? Yeah. He has Satan coming down and... I, and, and uh, people are going to give me a hard time for quoting Milton, but he, he comes down and there's there's the garden and it is like a wall of beautiful trees and stuff. And he sneaks in and and in Milton, there's other angels running around in the garden talking. Why would stuff. anyone give you? They're going to think you're smart because you're reading the great books. Okay, but uh, <laughs> but Satan goes to this serpent and he like dives into yeah. this serpent supernaturally and then speaks. And it doesn't surprise Eve because there are other supernatural figures running around that she's been speaking to. Mm. I mean, you know, I don't think that's what happened. But I'm just saying, well, the, the going into the serpent, I do. But I'm just saying, this is not a new question. And uh, But with angels, there's more about angels in the Bible, even though the Bible doesn't set out to teach yeah, us about angels. And there's a lot angels. about, you can learn about angels or what ancient Second Temple Jews in the Second Temple period thought about angels, if you just read the Pseudepigrapha and the, if you want, you know, um, learn about Raphael, read Tobit's, like, you know, it's good. One of my favorite stories from the Apocrypha. So you can go find out what other people thought about it. You know, right on. But the best so part do, of the Bible. Let's it, let's do uh, uh, let's do a. Uh, or you can audit his course on angels and demons, which is a fantastic. Yeah, because course. what a lot of people don't know is some of these like hierarchy of angels and stuff is is from a. Um, it's called from a pseudo Dionysius, which yeah. is claiming to be one of Paul's disciples, but we know it was written. Long after, wow, and yeah. he's saying this is what Paul thought about yeah. angels. Anyway, it's interesting stuff. I, I, it's amazing that I had enough to fill up eight hours of Four lecture more, material yeah. on that. Um, okay, uh, let's do a couple more. Uh, we speak, this is Brian, we speak at length regarding the issues with Calvinism and Reformed theology, and rightly so. But I was wondering if there was anything in the works that would speak or teach on the traditionalist view, for those of you who don't know, uh, rather than Calvinism or Arminianism, some Southern Baptists go by the, the term traditionalist, and I have for a long time gone as a, gone as a traditionalist. Um, something like a TGC or T4G, uh, the Gospel Coalition, or Together for the Gospel. Uh, in other words, an entity that is not just focusing on soteriology and the Calvinism debate, uh, but... Giving positive presentations for alternatives. Yeah, and then talking about other stuff that is tangentially related to that. These are groups that do that. Is there anything like that that would focus solely on this view without just mentioning Calvinism? Um, yes. And no. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. I know what it is. And Yet. I, and, and I know what it is. And he says yes, and I'm going to say yes and no. Um, I, don't think that, I, I, I don't think that you can any... The problem with some groups... That are you are possessed of Satan? No. <laughs> the problem with some groups that public is you... If you watch the T4G conferences and the TGC conferences, they inevitably are going to do a comparison to alternative soteriologies. I don't think that that can be avoided by any group, and I don't think it necessarily needs to be. Um, yeah, I'm confused by the question yeah. without mentioning do Calvinism. You, yeah, do you have to just constantly critique Calvinism? No. And I think that's one of the problems um, that other people in the past have fallen into without just giving positive presentations of their own views without having to even uh, mention the altar. Like I can, I can do that. I can, you can do that. You can present your whole doctrine of election without ever 
juxtaposing it with Calvinism. I can do that too. I think those kinds of things are important. I don't think it happens enough. Um, but I don't think that it's something that you should avoid like the plague either. I do take the sentiment, though, that's probably behind the question. Does it always have to be not this, not this? Here's what's wrong about that. Here's, can, can it not just be something else entirely without it? And I wholeheartedly affirm anything that attempts to do more of that than just poo-pooing the yeah, other Yeah, not side. to always be against something, but yeah. to be in positive right. in favor yes. of something. And I, I, there I, have been groups like that. Um, the Connect 316 group within the Southern Baptist community was attempting to do that. Um, I don't think so. Is still attempting to do that. There are other groups like that they never that are out there. <laughs> but there's something that I think would be more appealing yeah. and more in line with what you're talking about. Yeah. But, but I, I want to say that, to come. But I, I, I would never expect any of them to be never referencing another yeah. position because it's just helpful sometimes to do that. Well, you can clarify yeah. your own position by contrasting right. it with something else. Which is what they did in the early church. And sometimes your affirmations yeah. only make sense if someone knows why you would be affirming Yeah, that. what is in contradiction yeah. to, yeah. So, like a Article 8 of the, of the traditionalist statement on the free will of man, unless you are aware of determinism and compatibilism, which within Christianity is going to be Calvinism, mm -hmm. you wouldn't understand why is somebody affirming free will, like this view of free will that we're right. talking about. Okay, um, Randy asks, what is the proper relationship between law and gospel? Now, I can talk about that. If, I mean, you we can talk. both talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a, you want me to lay the landscape? Sure. Okay. Are you okay? <laughs> Have I offended you? No. Go ahead and lay the landscape. No. Go, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. There you go. Well, I was going to say, there's a good book out. Was, this is one of the things I actually like about the Zondervan books, where they have yeah. a view. And they lay out five views, okay? Mm -hmm. um, one of the views is the theonomic view, a theonomy, which is basically uh, everything in the Old Testament is still binding unless it was set aside in the New Testament, which means basically just the ceremonial law. But as far as the, the moral and the civil codes... While it may require some exegesis to print, make principles comparison to the modern world, uh, yeah, you have to, you know, um, you have to. All of those still apply. Okay, that's one view. Uh, another view, kind of the more dispensational view, is um, none of them apply. Uh, that was a law code for Israel and only the national Israel, and has no applicability to the church. Okay. Then you have views where, well, the moral law is still applicable, and whatever is reaffirmed in the uh, New Covenant is still applicable. It's not a whole new thing. It's just a, it's just a, uh, a ratification of, the, of some of the old, uh, mostly in, in the moral precepts. So there'll be, the typical argument they always fall, fight about is bestiality, for example. Never forbidden in the New Testament. Um, but it is explicitly condemned in the Old Testament. And they're like, yeah, but in, in the New Testament, just because it doesn't reiterate that law doesn't mean that it's not still binding, right? So they, they want to they say the moral aspects of the, of the Old Testament law are still in effect. Uh, but there's arguments against that, right? Because how do you parse those out? And, and So those are, there's a couple of modified, you know, uses of the law like the lutheran view and, and what do you you know you can condemn the whole world by the law and then give them the gospel and um so the law still has a, an effect on unbelievers um 
is still enforced. That's the standard for everybody if you're not a believer. But if you are a believer, then it doesn't you know, pertain to you. So there's a lot of different views of this. Did, did you want to add anything to that? Well, what's your view? Um, probably the view uh, that... I mean, the, while you're thinking about that, I could clarify something in case someone's never heard of this before. When he's talking about the different ca uh, categorizations of law, yeah. um, which is a part of the debate, law, is yeah. should you categorize? Right. But is um, but you have you have the ceremonial law, law yeah. which is stuff related to worship in the tabernacle, stuff mm -hmm. you should do when you've been unclean or whatever, stuff like that. Yeah. Then there is uh, civic law, which is like what happens if you kill somebody or kill somebody's animal or whatever, or, you know, things that we would call crimes, right. you know, in the, in the typical, and then you have the moral law, which is uh, not ceremonial, not civic, just right and wrong type stuff, mm -hmm. moral law. And what a lot of people in our world, like the evangelical world will say is, and I disagree uh, in a very nuanced way, is they'll say, well, the ceremonial and the civic law was what was fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled or brought an end or whatever. However you want to say that, that's mm -hmm. another point of debate in the in the debate. But um, but the, the moral law is the one part of the law that lives on. Mm -hmm. That's why we still talk about most of the Ten Commandments or all, depending on who you're talking to, stuff like that. It's not exactly where I am, but you want to tell where you're at. Well, I think that there is a moral law that one expression of that moral law is found in the Mosaic law, but that's not the only expression of it. You can find that is you can find that in the New Testament as well, and you can even find that outside of the Judeo-Christian tradition, just from common grace. So I, I you know, um, that's kind of my view that there there that there is a a what we would call the moral law that endures, um, because I think that more the theological than exegetical statement, but I, I just think the moral law well, flows from God's nature just yeah. as a divine command theory. So I think it's going to find its expression in the uh, Old Covenant, but it's also going to find its expression in the New Covenant. And the New Covenant, where did they go for guidance on, on their moral precepts? They always went to the Old Testament. So many echoes of like Leviticus 19, and so uh, there, there's sexual purity uh, codes. And so... That's kind of where I'm at. Um, I don't, I'm not a complete, the entire Old Testament law gets chunked because we know it doesn't. Right. We just, we just, the, the, the issue there is, is it, can it be parsed out from the other, or is parsing it out categorically even valid? I mean, we can intellectually make those distinctions, right? Is, which is what we're doing when we do that. Right. Um, but can you say this part of that mosaic code goes into the new covenant? See, I, still I think, I about think that. there's, yeah. I think there's a clean. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, as you yeah. know, and I, I think there's a clean answer to this that other people will maybe not like. I think, first of all, to back up what you're saying about the, the moral law coming from the nature of God. Yeah. It is true that by observing the moral teachings in in the Torah, we can see that there are certain principles about who God is. One way that some thinkers, theologians, suspect you can determine which things are eternally true and part of God's nature and therefore live on past the law yeah. uh, being fulfilled is by looking at things that, that uh, could, like, okay, Sunday being, or uh, Saturday being the day for worship, the seventh yeah. day. Is there something in God's nature that says the seventh day is the day where you have to have worship? 
uh, well, that's a point of debate with Seventh Day Adventists, but we would say no. no. That was a thing he he gave to man, mm-hmm. as well as how the tabernacle works and all these ceremonial yeah. things, and the and a lot of the civic things. What satisfies that justice and all that? But it's uh, killing somebody. Yeah. Did God just arbitrarily decide killing people was wrong, or no. does that? Yeah. So that's <laughs> how they think you can find that sort of thing out is uh, what flows from his nature. But. Uh, my answer is similar to yours. It gets, I think, at what you're trying to protect mm-hmm. that's good about the law. I think, I'm one of those people that says, I think the whole law was fulfilled by Jesus. The ceremonial, yeah, right. the civic, and the oh, moral I, law. I agree with that. So that yeah. we're not keeping it because it was part of the law. Right. We're not even necessarily, what, what's going on is the New Testament talks am, somewhat ambiguously about what is called the royal law or the law of Christ, right. if those are the same thing. They're not, there's not a lot of detail given. And it seems to well, be that... to me, it has the effect of trying to find new language for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's And true. that's fine. It doesn't, you know, either way is fine. I, I agree with that. But, but let me finish. So yeah. I think what's happening is, in the New Testament, Jesus fulfills the law, but then says, okay, now do what I tell you. And if you want to know, one of the best ways to know what I tell you is it's all bound up in love. Love your father, right. love the father, love your neighbor Which as yourself. from the old... Right. Yeah. There's very little Jesus says at all that wasn't said in the Old Testament yeah, or by in, Yahweh implicitly. or about Yahweh. Yeah. So here, basically, here's what I say. This, this is what you can do with the Old Testament. Okay. Number one, even if you wanted to follow kosher and you wanted to follow the festivals and all that, that Jesus filled up and did away with, I, I look at the book of Acts and I see them still going through purity rituals and everything else, mm-hmm. you know, long after the resurrection of Jesus. So, uh, okay, eat shellfish and ham. Don't eat it. Jesus didn't care. Just don't think you're adding anything to your salvation by doing that. So I think it's adiaphora that way. If, if you if you if you want to go do church on the Sabbath, I don't. I mean, on yeah, on Saturday Sabbath, Paul didn't care. Nobody cares. The point is, don't think that you add anything by going back to the Old Testament right. and adding anything to the gospel. But here's what else you can do. Okay, so it, it the, the parapet around the roof. You know, make you can principalize from that. Make your house safe so people, you know, people don't hurt themselves if they're unfamiliar with the landscape. Yeah. And and this is something that uh, I feel uh, just from personal experience is like, yeah, I'm going to mind that and do that kind of thing because I had a house in Maumelle where off of the kitchen was stairs that go just two steps or maybe it was just one step that goes into the living room. And my grandmother had never been there before and she was walking into the living room and didn't know of that step. And guess what? She took a tumble. And guess what else? She broke her arm. Mm. And guess what else? I felt like manure. Yeah, that was your fault. That was my fault because I didn't <laughs> bother to principalize from the Old Testament. Uh, not that I get up on my roof and somebody's not familiar with it might fall off or whatever because we yeah. do a lot of work there. But the principle behind that is yeah. make your house safe to strangers or people not familiar with it. And I experienced that firsthand. So I'm like, yeah, we shouldn't just ignore the Old Testament because there's a lot of wisdom bound up. Well, in, right. In and, and to so, be clear, because I can already yeah. feel people get angry about my view of law and gospel, but here's the thing about it. The more the, the law is completed, the law is fulfilled in Christ, mm-hmm. but the moral law is somewhat, Regiven in Jesus, right. so that you're still doing the same. The moral stuff is all still true, but that's just because it's the mind of God. But it's just that now you're not doing it because it was in the Torah, really. Yeah. You're doing it because 
But here's what I don't want to say, and you're hitting on it. I disagree strongly with Andy Stanley. I don't think we should unhitch from the Old Testament. Now, let me just say, some of the stuff that people give Andy Stanley a gripe over, they need to get over it. He's saying some good apologetic-type preaching that's right. helpful and necessary. Everybody complained about one of his sermons, and I went and listened to it, and I was like, wow, that's really great. I'm going to send that to a lost friend that I have. But... Um, <laughs> But but this unhitch from the Old Testament is, See, is now I garbage. People getting angry at you for having said that. I don't care. Yeah. I'm t- I'll defend what I say. Um, but I I don't have a problem one way or the other with Andy Stanley. Yeah. I, well, I disagree he's with this pastor, unhitch from the Old Testament thing. If I understand what he means. But here's the thing. I'm kidding. I listen to pastor. the even the civic law. Mm-hmm. The, the the Torah is still helpful for us. If I was yeah. starting a, a a country, a government, yeah. which I won't, but if at least at this moment. I would look to the Torah for guidance. Now, not in every case am I going to do what the Torah says, and I don't think I'm required to. But I think that you'd be foolish not to pay some attention to the Torah and how God gave laws if you were constructing. But see, we're not. I wouldn't be constructing a theocracy, and that's a big difference. So there's certain things that I wouldn't have the same. You know what? Because I'm people don't necessarily think this way about me, but I actually am this way. I am a charitable person. And I don't think Andy Stanley would actually disagree with what you just said. Even though he said we need to unhitch for the... I don't think that he would actually necessarily disagree with anything you said. Because he said other things. N.T. Wright always says this, you know, and he was saying this especially around the time he wrote Jesus. So now you're the one saying, now, now, yeah. Braxton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the prime now. No, I'm just saying, look, when N.T. When Wright, around the time that he was writing Jesus and the Victory of God, mm-hmm. he started saying something ever since then... Uh, for 20 some odd years now that, you know, one of the biggest problems is if you don't say everything you believe, every time you're asked a question about everything possible, they're going to say you don't believe it, right? And that's annoying and it's uncharitable and it's wrong to do that. You know, if you don't express every possible nuance of your view of something every time you're asked one question. Yeah, that's obvious. Yeah. But no, you think it's obvious, but people will say, you didn't say this that time. But that's not. You don't believe it. But that's not. Andy Stanley is trying to be provocative for one thing. And number two, he means it sounds like what he says. We were just with a pastor who really likes Andy Stanley, and he was like, yeah, he, I'm usually Yeah, but I've, I've heard. And Lee Stanley's view of scripture, and I don't think he's like, when he says unhitch, I don't think he's saying, don't even read it, just throw it in the trash. I, I think his, his thing was, we need to not be hung up about the Old Testament. I think that he wouldn't disagree with anything you say, mm-hmm. and I don't watch Andy Stanley. I'm not Here's trying to I take watch. Andy Stanley away from you. No. I know he's your favorite. He's your hero. No, Wanjin Lee. And I know Paul you take Cooper notes and, for Trinity and, Radio uh, yeah. listening to Andy Stanley. <laughs> No, I well, like I said earlier in the show, I need to listen to more pastors because people I understand do that. So I listen to my friends. I listen to Sam Schmidt and Juan Jun Lee and yeah. Paul Cooper. And now I listen to Chip Bennett and his sermon was awesome because he talked about patron client reciprocity in a Sunday morning service. That's great. I've never heard Andy Stanley ever say anything. I don't think he knows what that means. Well he's probably not quite as smart as Chip. Chip Bennett has a PhD <laughs> and Andy Stanley's yeah. But I'd educate. He might not be as educated as Chip. Right. I don't. I hate to ever say anyone's not smart. Okay. Um. Let's. No. I'll say. There's a lot of people. So who Sarah, aren't smart. But you know, my list of people. See who now aren't you're smart. back. Now you're back. <laughs> so that so the moral law is reaffirmed in Christ, but not. And then the civic law would be helpful, and then the ceremonial law helps us understand the holiness of God and, helps and the separation from other culture that are or other sinful activities. And helps us understand. More about 
what Jesus' ministry was all about because there's so many shadows and types and all of that yeah. stuff in that ceremonial law. What were they doing and what was God teaching and preparing the world for? Even though they totally missed it, you can go back and the apostles went back and saw, you know. I don't know if you'd agree with this. Yeah. The law, I don't think the I don't think that the law I think Jesus brought salvation. Mm-hmm. I don't think the law was a means of salvation. No, never. I think the law was if a means of sanctification. Life, would come I think the law was a guide for yeah. sanctification. You do this, you, you're never going to be completely successful, but you do this in order to grow more like Yahweh, what Yahweh wants from you. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm the Lord your God who led you out of the land of Egypt yeah. from the bonds of slavery over and over again. The, the salvation of Israel had already occurred in the Exodus, okay? Now, this is how you're Through my water. People. Yes. And this is how you're my people. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. It was never it was never intended. The salvation has always been by faith, uh, by grace. Through right. That's what, I mean, Paul tells us that. Yeah. The author of Hebrews tells us that. Probably Paul. Um, that, that. What did you say? Say that louder. <laughs> probably Paul. You think Paul wrote Hebrews? I think I don't know who wrote Hebrews, but I think probably. I mean, it's God probably. Knows who, it's probably either. God Paul, knows who wrote Hebrews. Well, of course he does. He said nobody. It's probably either Paul or God. The Father does not have a physical body, so nobody. Um, the, <laughs> the Father. <laughs> Good the, saying. I, I want, the, yeah. The, Paul or Luke <laughs> probably wrote Hebrews. Yeah, I like, get all the weird X Files, different people who might have written, yeah. but probably Paul or Luke. I'm fine either way. I think there's enough really Pauline sounding stuff in there that I think it's Paul. Why are we talking about that though? Who do you um, think wrote it? Uh, Origin said it best. God, only God knows. Um, yeah, Origin tried to cut. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, but I mean, he, on this, he said it best. Yeah. I don't know. I like David Allen's case for Luke, but I don't care who wrote Hebrews. It's still in the canon. So then, why are you giving me a hard time for having an opinion about it? No, I think it's interesting because somebody's going to say, "Yeah, that's Catholic. Catholics think Paul wrote Hebrews." I don't care. Catholics believe in a triune God, and so do I. All right. No, I'm just telling you what's out there. I know. Like most people who still, I'd like to believe Apollos wrote it because I just think that. That would be super cool. And Ronald Nash believed that and used to argue for it vigorously. Um, some people think Priscilla and Aquila wrote it together. Some people think, I mean, who? Mickey Mouse. You can name anybody. I mean, I don't know. It's like just who's your favorite Bible New Testament character. That's who wrote yeah, Hebrews. Uh, yeah, there are people who say Barnabas. Yeah. Just because they want that guy to get his piece in. Mm-hmm. Especially Barnabas because finally he gets a say. And he agrees with Paul. <laughs> I have a DeLorean. I got went back in time. I wrote Hebrews. Dude, if you wrote Hebrews, I would expect it to be a little... Well, actually, it does kind of sound a little bit like you, part of it. Because toward the beginning, he starts talking about Melchizedek. Yeah. And he's like, I want to tell you about Melchizedek, but I can't say more than what I've just said because you guys aren't ready for it. And then he comes back later and he's like, fine, I'm going to tell you all about Melchizedek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But all right, uh, this is a... This, I think this is a good episode. I think this is I'm a feeling long it. episode. Yeah, we're over an hour. Yeah. Uh, okay, last one. Okay. Or should we just end there? No, let's do last one. Let's, let's How one. important, Dr. Pritchett, mm-hmm. is sex in marriage? Okay. Says Randy. Uh, no, that wasn't Randy. I, I don't know who asked this. But they want to know. The people want to know what you think, or maybe what I think. And how does this affect people who are physically unable to engage in Ooh, such activities? That's a that's a good question. That's it a, is a good that's question. That's a pastoral care counseling question yeah, yeah. that we should send to Chatham. 
don't, we don't need Chatham for this. I can handle this one. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. All in a normal marriage where people are capable of it, I think it's important. But I think it's only as important as the importance you place on it. If you don't place that much importance on it in your marriage. And as people get older, that kind of slows down anyway. Um, so it's as, it's as important as you can place on it. But I, I think you have to have a special category for people who are unable to perform those functions due to whatever. There's a whole variety of reasons. Whatever they are, I don't want to get into it. But reasons, right? So that people can't sure. do it. I still believe that you can have a lifelong fulfilling marriage without sex. Yeah. Um, have 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 I had a day that I found was fulfilling without sex with in my marriage? Yes. Now, have one of those every day and you might be able to, I mean, yeah, I think there would be struggles there if like you you know, you want to but can't express it that way. Um, but as far as how important it is it's to the level of importance you place on it. That would be my answer. And if you're unable to do it, I still believe that you can have a very fulfilling. And and I don't know if 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 we're talking about like any sort of physical interaction or intimacy, but you can still have intimacy without sex. Yeah. So, well, um, yeah, I I think and don't only listen to part of this explanation, but listen to the whole thing. I think sex has a couple of purposes. One is um, intimacy. Uh, we do know that that there are God-given chemicals that are released, mm -hmm. uh, just like when, when a woman is breastfeeding with a baby to cause bonding uh, mm -hmm. with the baby. There are chemicals that are released during sex that will give you have to make a feeling of bonded. Mm -hmm. I'm closer to this person now. So that is a real thing. And I can only imagine that that is there partly because God wants people to have companionship and love and be as close as they can possibly be to human beings can possibly be to, mm -hmm. to serve part, partly also to serve as an image mm -hmm. uh, of, of the church and, and, and as, also and, as the bride. Um, yeah. But the principal reason, yeah. now this is what I was going to say. I think probably the principal reason that sex is, I mean, just what do the organs do? What is this for? Procreation. Mm -hmm. Even when there's not a, a helper suitable for him, why was there not a helper suitable for him? Well, one thing, because there wasn't another human being. Mm -hmm. But another reason is all these animals could procreate together. Mm -hmm. He needed someone that he could procreate together right. with. To fulfill the divine. And so that is an important function of it. So is it important in marriage? Yes, because it is the means by which God intends procreation to take place. Now, if but it does have this other component. Mm-hmm. And that other component is the intimacy. And I agree 100% with what you just said. If two people, for whatever reason, can't um, procreate mm -hmm. and, and can't even you know, functionally do what would be necessary to procreate, they can still have intimacy. They can still have a fulfilling right. relationship. They can even have um, uh, the, that kind of closeness. I, I just I, I think you can yeah, do that and, without and, yeah, sex. And I, and I think that that's a as a testimony to them, it's kind of like the people who actually can have sex, but choose a life of singleness and celibacy respect, you know? Um, so I think uh, we talked a lot about sex in Florida for some reason. We kept getting sex questions and marriage questions and stuff. It's like always punning to Leighton because he's the most pastoral out of us. But um, to me, our, our culture is sex obsessed. Um, I will share, uh, you can cut this later, but 
Um, there are days where you and I have both admitted <laughs> that, uh, you know, could we live without it? Yeah. Do we want to? Not necessarily. But you I don't know. need to cut that out. That, yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, we've had these kind of conversations. Could you go without uh, you and your like? Okay, so your your wife dies, for example, or so, yeah. can can you go without it? Or yes. do you need to be remarried within six months no. to a year? And because, you guys know I typically yeah. do not like to make comment on things like this, but right. I uh, I do since I'm being sassy today. I don't know yeah. what's gotten into me, but yeah, I think as, as you like, I said that one time. Yeah. I said something about. You know, there are sometimes you'd rather not. You yeah. know, there's sometimes you'd rather do something else that's not. And and when you say things <laughs> like that, games. yeah, play a video game or something or watch whatever. But yeah. you say that and you instantly sound horrible and unromantic. And yeah. even Billy Wendelin was like, "That's just sad." When, this is a long time ago, Billy. You don't may not remember. But he's like, "That's just sad." And they're like, "Well, okay. I mean, yeah. you know, whatever. I don't know why. I mean, I love my wife. Yeah. I enjoy." Our relationship, but yeah. you're right. I'm not obsessed. Now, if you're married, have all you want. It's fine. That's it's right. fine. You know, have all you want. I, but I, um, I, I'm a fan. <laughs> There's no doubt about it that I'm I'm a fan. But I mean, is it is, is it an absolute necessity? No. No. In fact, I think for people that don't end people that are experiencing same sex attraction, yeah. and for those people who have decided that. They can't do that and be a biblically faithful Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if God does not supernaturally remove those desires, they can have close friendships. They could even have a marriage. James White has said this. I don't know if you guys know, James White is a brilliant uh, biblically knowledgeable Actually, theologian. because he's not useful on Islam anymore, <laughs> there's no reason to listen to him at all. Don't get off on James White. Let me say this. He said this before too, and, I, and I've been saying it before he was, and I yeah. think it's right, which is two people of the opposite sex who both experience same-sex attraction, mm-hmm. theoretically, if they want to be faithful Christians, they could marry each other for a friendship and have a degree of intimacy. I could just be anybody, but they could have a degree of intimacy without sex right? and have that companionship. I've heard that said a lot of times. Well, good. From a lot of people. Well, James White probably came up with that because he's so smart. No. He's smart. He's not right. <laughs> He's right about this. Yeah, but it's because he heard it from someone else. Uh, old episodes of Trinity Radio, surely. <laughs> it could be. Okay. Uh, I hope not, because if he if, if that's true, then he knows who I am, and he said he'd never heard of this gentleman. Well, that would make him a liar. Right. But I don't believe he's a liar. I don't either. I don't think most people haven't heard of him. <laughs> so. But they will. We're trying. Now, this is the ceremonial... Part of the show where I pitch repent. Oh, for being sassy. for being a jerk to you. Uh, uh, you weren't a jerk to me. You're just being a jerk. <laughs> you were an all around jerk. It's new to me. I don't no, understand. I'm impervious <laughs> to this stuff. Uh, it's like it's like uh, in Florida where you're trying to tell Chip. It's like uh, when when he was like asking if y'all got in the debate, who would win? And I jump in there. Well, of course me. Yeah. And then he looks at you like, see. And I was sitting there eating my salad. Oh, I live with this. He's so used to he's so used to me being uh, sassy. So, but yeah, uh, but no, it's fine. Chris, is it Chris Fisher? Yeah, that did the episode about Trinity Radio? Yeah, 
Um, enjoyed that episode. Yeah. Uh, we shared with him our disagreements about what mm-hmm. he said. Uh, then he went over to my Genesis series mm-hmm. and was was in, interacting with me about mosaic authorship, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was very interesting. Uh, but he apologized. He's like, well, he didn't apologize, but he's like, I, and if I'm coming across as antagonistic, don't think that, you know. Um, and I was like, um, I work with Jonathan Pritchett. <laughs> I said, I don't even mind you being snarky as long as you're kind. You know, that's yeah. that's all I care about. Uh, but thank you, Chris Fisher, for paying attention to us and doing an yeah, episode about we, us. We thought it was pretty cool that somebody did that. Yeah, I, I've long time. He's my favorite open theist, uh, long time fan. Well, long time, few months now. Uh, when he uploaded the critique of Zakariati's opening statement, I thought it was hilarious, and I've been watching his stuff ever since. Uh, he's an interesting guy um, because of his views. I, I think he is. He walks this line of being really conservative and fundamentalist, except also taking m- most of the findings of higher forms of biblical criticism. So this is kind of an interesting mix, because I, I think if you ask him, are you, he's like a young earth creationist guy. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, I, and I, I think he's pretty diehard fundamentalist, and yet also takes on most of the conclusions of critical higher... I can see those... Well, I can see the open theism going together with that, going together with like a, a person who has yeah. those other views. And he, he picks on other open theism. Because they're too. trying to be like, no, what does it say? Yeah. I'm taking it for what it says, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And, and he disagrees with like the more philosophical open theists like Greg Boyd. So it's really interesting listening to him. And anyway, he sent us a video. It's basically his why I'm an open theist. So uh, we get to... He sent us a video? Yeah, I asked him. So, so what, where, what's your... You know, for our Wyman series, because you know. Oh, so we're going to do a Wyman open theist. Yeah, and do and him. We'll, use, we'll use him. Yeah. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Welcome to our world, Chris. Yeah. Hey, he's got a pretty successful Reality YouTube Reality is not channel. optional as this podcast, but it's it's the podcast you should watch after you've paid attention to Trinity Radio, The Narrow Path, Soteriology 101, and The Bible Growdown, which are all our sister podcasts in the Trinity Commission, which you should watch first, and then other people like uh, Chris Fitcher's uh, stuff, and definitely check out the Synergist podcast with Nick Quint and his buddy. Uh, they're good too, but mainly the Trinity Commission. Become a student of Trinity College of the Bible yeah. and Theological Seminary at trinitysem.edu today. If you think you ever will be a student or interested, go ahead and fill out the eval form. It's just a little bit of information. It doesn't cost you anything. On the right-hand side of the page at trinitysem.edu, there's a nice little video of me with a suit and tie on. I've got a tie on. Go check it out. Um, yeah, also, not a V-neck. You actually have a, a button-up shirt and a tie. Well, there was a V-neck involved. You just couldn't see it. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, we also want to say uh, patreon.com slash trinityradio if you'd like to be our supporter or click up here somewhere. And please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please leave us positive comments on the iTunes uh, page for the podcast. But if you don't do anything else, subscribe, 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 subscribe to the YouTube channel because that really helps us. It doesn't cost you anything. And I'm telling you, I was thinking about this with some of my other podcasts that I used to listen to that were not that big yet, but that I liked, like Don Johnson's show. If, If he, you know, I'd be like, well, other people will do that. And, and he wouldn't even know if I did go do that. So what it does really matter. And, and and then I realized now on this side of it, no, I, like Don Johnson would have noticed mm-hmm. and it would have mattered to him. And it does matter to us. And so please do that. Do what? I forgot what you were talking about. Subscribe to Oh, me. subscribe to me. Yes, do that. All right. Thanks for watching.
We're done. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible studies. Click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.